Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was about green data centers and how do we make the IT infrastructure we use more environmentally sound? And it's hard. It's a challenging problem because fundamentally running servers uses power. In this conversation, we go into how it uses power. Can we make the use more efficient? And can we find ways to incent people to give up resources and cycles, idle servers, uh, and really dig into what it takes to build this next generation infrastructure and what's holding us back? I know you'll enjoy the conversation. Today's, today's topic is on the Green Data Center, which we talked about uh, a couple of months ago now. And um, Don, I know you've been doing research and playing with it. And so um, I, I asked uh, Don to, to help us lead a update to see if there was new things to think about in Green Data Center or, or topics well, I mean we should consider. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing that I'm, so I'm continuing to work on Green Data Center initiatives at WWT. WWT has, I've got sponsorship at the uh, CTO level to start building a sustainability lab. Uh, WWT, I don't know if you guys know much about, the, about us, but we're, we're very big on uh, essentially being a, a, as neutral as we can third-party lab to bring technology into, uh, test it, show it working, and present that to our customers, sort of not quite at arm's length because obviously we have deep relationships with particular OEMs and it all gets a little bit gray at times, Um, but we do our best to be as neutral as possible. Um, So I've got sponsorship to bring in um, you know, suites of technology around green data center. And we can talk about what a green data center actually is. Um, but one thing I'm looking for, looking for the, 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 the sort of hive mind that's present here is what are the technologies that matter? Um, and there's a, there's a couple um, things, right? The sort of two, the two big rocks in the data center are how much power gets dumped into CPUs, right? Uh, And how much power gets dumped into um, cooling and environmentals for the data center. So, uh, and the two things obviously are related. so, you know, the, the number one thing uh, that we're looking at right now is, you know, how to, how to control the heat beast uh, in the data center, um, how to control the heat coming out of, compu- out of the computers and what to do with that heat once, you, once you've got it controlled, um, as well as looking at how do we increase the efficiency for every watt we put into um, a system, right? How do we make sure that we're squeezing as much possible computation out of that watt as possible? Um, so to me, those are the sort of yin and yang of at least the the initial work being done um, that I'm doing around sort of green data centers. One is ensuring that we're building as efficient systems as possible. 
right? By densifying them and running and, and this is kind of working against us, you know, running them as hot as possible. Um, and then uh, figuring out how to effectively cool those things. And we're looking on the compute side, you know, we're looking at, you know, next generation processors from uh, AMD and Intel, obviously, um, you know, we're, we're clocking, we're going to very quickly be into the 300 watt range um, if we're not there already. Um, but also what about more efficient process? Like there was just the big announcement that NVIDIA is finally giving up on the ARM deal. Um, uh, and what does, you know, what does that mean for, you know, other other potential entrants into the data center? Mm. On the cooling side of things, we're just completing a round of testing uh, on, on what they call DLC, which is direct liquid cooling of CPUs, which is essentially you, you, you scrape off the, the heat sink that's on a machine and you uh, slap this little cooler on it and then you run it through, run it through a bunch of pipes and run it, run it out to a radiator and get pipe the heat out of the systems that way. We're looking at that. We're looking at immersion cooling is immersion cooling something that people are, we're really doing a data center. Um, Cause that's a lot of baby oil. Um, yeah. Uh, although they don't really use baby oil anymore to do that. It is. Um, it, I mean, it, if there's so, also an environmental impact from some of that too. So, well, that's actually, you know, that that's, this is actually something I'm really interested in digging into in the next few weeks is so the, the, the coolants that are being used are all from this uh, 3M Novatech sort of series right now. Um, and I need to go dig into, you know, sort of what the chemical data says really about those things and you know 3m of course swears up and down that these things are completely benign and you can pour it all over the environment and it's all good and you know we've all sort of heard that story before and um you know i'm sort of less concerned about what the marketing department at 3m says versus what can be uh um uh, uh what can be uh you know what can be done there's a hand up. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, with regards to the uh, the, the the cooling liquid, um, if it's anything like the the heating and cooling loops uh, for the batteries in electric vehicles, uh, yeah, that is something that requires uh, specialized processing to uh, dispose, and it's it's not environmentally friendly. It might be. Like a non-carcinogen or or, or non-toxic, uh, like if direct contact, but it's definitely not. It's, it's not water. Um, no, it's actually really freaky stuff. Um, I yeah. had a like I had like a what like a clear water bottle, um, full of it, and it's clear, but it mm-hmm. it's about one and a half times the density of water. So you hold this thing in your hand. And you, in your own mind, have an idea about how much, you know, a liter, a liter of water weighs. It weighs one kilogram, right? And this thing, they put, you put it in your hand and it's a kilogram and a half. And it's just your brain has a hard time sort of wrapping your head around that. Absolutely. Um, to, to, to the comments and the questions, you know, why, you know, why is densifying workloads viewed as, as, as sort of an, an approach here? Well, the answer is, is there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the rack, right? There's switches and all the other ancillary stuff that goes around a rack that consumes power, whether whether the computers are running or not. 
and the logic is is that by densifying, you're 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 squeezing as much as you can out of all of the pieces of the infrastructure. Now, I think there's a I mean there's some dubious leaps of logic there as well. Um, if you look at how um, you know probably the most efficient computing device that we all own are our cell phones. Um, and they, the, the design in cell phones uh, has, has certainly been for the last few generations is to put a mixture of processors um, uh, in those systems, some high performance and some relatively low performance. And when the workload demands high performance, yeah, it spins up the, the high performance CPUs and it goes off and does that. But the reality, and we all know this, the reality of, of even in data centers, most of the time, most of the computers are idle uh, from a computational point of view. Um, now, this is where I think, at least in the medium to longish term, where um, uh, people, where designs including essentially, you know, CPU designs from cell phones, uh, arm, you know, the the sort of uh, where there's this gradation of computer of of computing ability in the system, um, uh, I think that's a you know that you know that that's a long term strategy that I think the industry will be looking at. But there's nothing there's nothing I can deploy in the data center this year to make that happen. So I, I'm sort of sort of more focused on sort of the the uh, uh, the the shorter term. Um, is data center high percentage? Yes, no, yes, it should be a high. We, I mean, the goal is to use it, you know, get utilization as high as possible and then turn off all the things that aren't being utilized. So, can I ask some clarifying questions? Sure. Because, because, so, right, I know just from personal experience, like, you know, when you're, when you're taxing your machine, it, power consumption goes up, fans go on, it produces heat. Um, when you're, when you're not, and it's a actually, machine it's actually is reverse is, of that. It produces heat and the fans go on. Oh, oh sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, normal use, my, my machine doesn't get hot. It's like, so, I mean, does an idle machine, does turning off an idle machine save that much power, especially cause I know bootstrapping the machine actually consumes a bit of power. So, mm -hmm. um, and nobody ever talks about suspend, which we probably should talk about some. Mm -hmm. um, it you know it what I what I don't have a feel for is if you know you're let's 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 put numbers to it. So if I'm running ten machines at twenty percent workload, and I can consolidate those that down to two machines running a hundred percent workload, mm -hmm. I think the math works out. Does that? And those machines, that means they're going to generate more heat. They're going to run at the top. They're going to need, you know, they're, they're going to need cooling where the other ones might not, you might not need it. Does, is that the type of research you're doing? Like, is there yeah. data yeah. for that? Yeah, there actually, I do have lots of data for that. Um, so, uh, so one of the, one of the tests that uh, I just completed with, uh, with a, a liquid cooling system is we took 
um, sort of a current generation server that we're using at a customer's for virtual desktop infrastructure, right? Which is something that actually is has a fairly high utilization. Um, and by, you know, when we, when we run that on air cooling, um, the fans run full bore, off it goes. Um, uh, when we run that with direct, you know, direct liquid chip cooling, the fans remain at idle. They remain at the same speed that they are when there's zero workload. Um, okay. That turns into 35 watts um, to on that server, which is on a on a 700 watt okay. server, which is you know five six percent, which is not super astounding, but it's you know you get it for free. Um, um, uh, when we and that's sort of that's sort of a generation back in terms of processors. When we look at, you know, the processors that are going to be coming out, the 300 to 400 watt systems, you know, that are on the roadmaps from both AMD and Intel, it's going to be really hard to actually put enough fans into those systems, right? Um, uh, there's a bunch of really good questions here that I really want to get to. Um, um uh, <sighs> turn down servers or other consumption or reduce the expenditure of powder. One of the best statistics I found in this is from Dropbox. Um, Dropbox did an audit of their data centers and they found out that 5% of their power was going into decommissioned servers that they simply just hadn't got around to turning off yet. Um, so there's there's a huge there's huge wins to be had simply on managing data centers better. Um, and I think there's a there's a very I mean this is actually something that I think Rack N as a company, you know, you know, your guys' integration, yeah. you know, putting computers into suspend, integrating with DSIM software, right? I think is and actually a, a big opportunity, but again, this isn't, this isn't a rack end call, um, but. Um, well, no, but I mean, the, there is a, there is a question, right? Cause people turn things on and leave them on cause they don't have dynamic control of infrastructure. Um, there's, there's, there's right. There's a couple of things that we do track that I, you know, without putting rack end as, as, as a sales pitch, which I don't want to do. I think there are missing components for controlling the spend. So if you could say, Hey, this server, you know, of these, of these machines, actually, let me ask it as a question. So if we had the data, which is easy to get to say, all right, I've got 10 servers, they're all running at 20%, you know, well, I could shut off two of these servers, mm -hmm. um, just suspend them. Yeah, if you had the, if you did the, um, if you had the workload management piece, yes. Um, Joanne, you have your hand up? I do. Um, I had my hand up because I'm listening to what you're talking about. And there's, in my mind, there's two or three different components to this. One is the actual infrastructure of the center itself and how that can help reduce the footprint. The second is the physical pieces of hardware in that center and how they're configured to reduce power consumption and heat. And the third piece is the, and, and this might be a stretch, but just the way my brain works, 
the consumption of individual components in a server based on workload. Are you GPU heavy? Are you CPU heavy? And how that might have influence mm -hmm. over the first two. So in one sense, if I start at the infrastructure of the data center itself, I may be able to give you uh, some documentation from Schneider Electric, from, ha uh, from Eaton, and also non-proprietary from AMD. Mm -hmm. Because they're in the process of doing this right now in Toronto, in five buildings located about 15 minutes away from my home that my son is in charge of doing. Okay. And I have all okay. the blueprints sitting <laughs> oh downstairs. I don't but of course I would have to get permissions and whatever. But that being the case, when I, when I had this discussion with him and I had it from the point of view that you guys are describing versus what he has to physically build, this is why it came up. And so that's how I broke it into those categories. And I would say the one other is the, the locale of the data center also makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with uh, minus six, minus 10 to minus 35. Uh, clearly, Rob is not dealing with those kinds of temperatures. So the requirements... <laughs> would be wholly different. I mean, you would have it on, on the air conditioning side, but if yeah. we, if you start looking at it from those categories, there's a lot of information out there. There is a study I was just trying to look up for you from Schneider and Eaton on how they're um, doing this because Schneider Electric is actually building a reputation for uh, building carbon neutral data centers from the electrical, from the infrastructure perspective of the center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I just yeah, thought I, mean, I would kind of offer that up. So, 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 for example, Schneider is also um, they just bought a decent company. They bought Sunbird, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, I mean, they're I mean, they're being really progressive in this and, and sort of looking at. But I see we're going to see sort of consolidations in the industry around. Um, around uh, intelligent data centers and intelligent infrastructure. I think we're already seeing that. Sean? Hey, um, I was just gonna mention that the, um, I've, in my experience, there's three major things. And um, for whatever reason, I haven't seen, uh, from what I understand in conversations we've had recently, that um, these things seem to be the, continuously or still the this the big biggest problems I repeat myself but um, building beta, beta, better data centers more efficient data centers building them in the right places um, uh, that continues to be an issue um, uh, managing the supply chain of the of the business uh, moving equipment in and out continues to be a huge issue um, is there's humans involved and we generally suck at doing that kind of work because it's messy. Um, but uh, um, when I was at Yahoo, we uh, not the, the biggest problems we had and every company as they get bigger run into this is that um, people start silo uh, groups start siloing gear because they're afraid they won't get the money. 
So, um, and they, they get really possessive. We found all kinds of um, original gear from when Yahoo started a decade before that people were still holding on to, didn't want to give up because they were, they thought they might need it. Uh, it was just very odd, normally erratic, bizarre behavior that they would never do in their own life, but it, it worked. They, they would behave that way, very possessive. Um, and the same way over their actual footprint in the data center, they were extremely possessive because if you give up some, you lose it. And uh, sometimes in a lot of data centers, um, it's hard to get it back. Um, and then the, the third thing, um, which uh, is the stuff that I've been working on the last couple of years, is breaking apart the application and the infrastructure CI/CD, um, which is, I think, why containers make a ton of sense in a lot of cases. But the the stuff that manages the containers is um, is I, I think the key part of where this discussion started. Of you know, what do I spin up, spin down, if something like RackN or some version of that is in place and is part of the process of managing the infrastructure where the applications run is somewhat a different process that just uses whatever infrastructure is there. It makes it kind of takes care of this problem. Um, and you're just deploying infrastructure when it makes the most sense. Um, and then deploying replicas of that application over the top of that using the, the CICD process for the applications. Um, but unfortunately, these three things conflict with each other. Um, and the people working on these things in a lot of businesses are completely different groups that don't speak the same language. Um, and it causes this, well, this conflict. So that's, that's my little. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I see this in my customers as well. There's, you know, lots of bespoke infrastructure. This is my computer. This is, I, I use it for my stuff. And if it's sitting there idle, I don't want anybody else to use it anyhow. I, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we've all seen that. We've all actually, I've personally been that guy, right? Right, right. I don't think there's any, I, I think you're spot on. Um, one potential way to do this, and I'm really interested in the group's opinion on this, Um is to do to start doing carbon chargeback uh, for workloads mm. um, and turn this, you know, we're all supposed to be capitalists at the end of the day. Um, you know, can we use, you know, the, you know, the invisible hand of capitalism, you know, charging people back for, ca for their carbon footprint to the application and ultimately to the business? Um, is that one way to have the businesses change how they do that to break to to, to what sean was talking about <clears throat> break some, break down some of those silos right you know you know can't can answer that do this um, or give you yeah, a stab at that um so um my experience this is about a decade old or a little bit less but about that at yahoo but this is very much a um, when i was at yahoo um Infrastructure work at Yahoo is very much um, inward facing. We're essentially uh, AWS, but focused inward, not outward. Um, and we constantly had customers coming and going, but we had about 900 customers. Um, and uh, we tried, the, well, I should say, to simplify this, the, the biggest pain in the ass we had to deal with was um, the inf infrastructure finances. It was a freaking nightmare. Um, we tried uh, over my tenure there um, to refactor this probably 40 times 
um, notion. It, it's ridiculous how many times you try to refactor it. And, and um, essentially what it came down to is that the only time in my experience that it was truly efficient was where when either Philo, who was the actual founder of the company, um, was directly involved in just dictatorially telling people, this is what you're going to do. Um, I understand your business enough. I've seen your numbers. This is what you get. Shut up. Uh, and really, sometimes people come to him crying <laughs> at bizarre behavior of people, but engineers and accountants uh, literally coming to him crying, saying, if we won't be able to get our stuff working, if you do this, and half the time they're lying their ass off. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And the other time, um, this is early on in my tenure, um, uh, when this worked um, the best, and it was... Um, it was drama, but it worked well because at the end of the day, we were running efficiently because Philo was in charge telling people what to do. Um, and he had some brains on him so um, and understood the business from an infrastructure perspective. And then towards the end of my tenure, when Marissa Meyer was involved, she actually understood the business at Philo's level as well um, and basically did the same thing to said, Singapore data center, this wing is done. We're, done, we're out of here. This is too expensive. And just took the whole business out of the picture and just made dictatorial um, decisions because she understood what was the right thing to do for the business. Now, of course, the business was, uh, you know, the history was in the toilet completely by then. But um, the in-between when we tried to let the business run decisions and, and present data, um, everyone lied. It, it was the biggest problem. People were constantly trying to game the system. And it just, it never worked. It was a huge effort in busy work um, because people were always squirreling away money, squirreling away machines, uh, (laughs) um, padding their their watt usage. Um, We had people that were actually running no ops workloads in preparation. They'd know when we were going to start scanning the network for loads uh, in preparation for the next quarter's. Um, allocation of gears, they'd run no ops workloads to make them look busier than they were. I mean, it was it was huge amount of busy work. Anyway. Like the airlines flying empty planes into Europe to keep their slot. Yeah, I mean, you're I yeah mean, you're rewarding yeah. the so both of those situations mm-hmm. are, are 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 what I would call rewarding camping behavior. Right, people yeah. are camping on resources. Right, you just you know again. Good Canadian boy going out to the going going out to the national parks. You know, you'd go set up your tent, you know, in your camp spot. You know, you know, well in advance of you actually showing. You'd show up on Thursday, set up your tent so that you knew that you had it on Friday, right when everybody else showed up. Sure. Um, but and this, this, this to me is the attraction. Go this ahead. is the attraction of containers because ideally, container right. We we have a huge problem in the industry with with lack of portability, right. And and setup is very expensive. A lot of cases, especially if you've done it manually, right? I can see why, you know, an engineer who it took him three months to get a machine and it took him another three months to get it set up correctly so that it could actually do work. You know, yeah, they, they're gonna they're gonna protect that machine and that configuration like crazy. And the, the problem here is not is the protection behavior is natural if it took you that long to get the resource. Mm-hmm. The, so that to me, when we talk about greed data centers, right, we know we can improve efficiency 
uh, you know, I'm, this is my this is my drum. I always bang it on this on this issue. So, but we we've we have to change it so that the the interactions with people have with the infrastructure is much less expensive. To go from like I need I I want to use infrastructure to I have I'm I'm getting useful work done. That that time frame needs to be you know as close to zero as we can make it, and the the, the that's oil of it should be as close to zero as possible. Once you do that, then you can start saying, oh, wait a second, I, I'm going to shut things down over here because it's not, you know, at night, because who cares? You know, I can well, turn things back on at, at, you know, 30 minutes before I come back into the office. So and everything will be back up and, and available for me again. So I absolutely agree yeah. with you, but I think you're, I think you're depending upon the goodness of humanity right a little too much um i think you need to actually mm. there needs to be a there needs to be a cost to leaving idle resources I, right so that, I, that that, that, that yeah. reflects back on the people using those resources and this is either I, or, or maybe a, back or show back or shame back or whatever you want to call it I, I and the cost has to be greater than the cost think, of just using the equipment correctly there has to be it has to be a penalty type cost as opposed to just the same cost as just using it. Well, I, I think I think it should be a benefit as opposed to a cost, because when you start putting penalties out there, that just creates a lot of um, pushback. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example of what a benefit would look like. Uh, so if we if we say, OK, we're going to switch our deployment flow to CICD and we're going to deploy on top of containers. And the benefit to the developer is that, um, let's say we find a bug in production and we're able to make a test it locally, deploy it to a dev Kubernetes cluster, test it there. And then once we've validated that the test is, 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 is uh, or the, the bug fix is effective, then we can deploy it to production and we can do all of that in five minutes. And developers care about that. So if you're, if you're deploying on top of Kubernetes as part of this release flow, this push button easy, and then you deploy into an environment like EKS where you're using dynamic load balancing on AWS, where you automatically scale up and scale down, then the implication is you're being you're being efficient from a uh, power perspective, utilization perspective, but the developer is getting what they want, which is push button easy. If you if you go and you start saying, well, I'm going to you know dock your pay because you you know you're not being efficient with your infrastructure, that just I just don't see where that's going to work. I think we need to think about well, how do we manage the what's in it for me for the different stakeholders in a way that everybody wins. But I think you need both, but the the uh it should be like 90, 95% uh of carrot with five percent stick because they're always sociopaths that will take advantage <laughs> no matter what. So you have to have some way of dealing with the sociopaths. But I would just it should be 95. Yeah. I, I would add that this does my experience of trying this over and over again, it doesn't work. 
the carrot stick nuclear weapon. Um, you know, uh, I like the new princess prizes. It, none of it works because um, you, unless you're dealing with just a couple of people, you could do that because you you can kind of figure out how they work and how they think. But if you're dealing with like more than a pizza worth of people that uh, departments that have needs and demands, it's it just doesn't work um, because um, there there's so many variables involved. So that I, I do think if you just eliminate the human factor and, and go back to where is the data that I need to process? Where, where, where is it? Um, move the processing to it, get result, and then consolidate that to what uh, the final result that I need to get. If you, that seems to be the only thing that really works. So, and that requires you to have something that's portable like containers. Um, and that's ultimately, um, uh, well, that's I think that's the ultimate solution because if you break apart how you build infrastructure from how you run applications um, and make those things two separate processes, then really um, op operating against on your data, where the data exists, rather than having to try to move it around, even within the data center, it's just, it's a, it's a zero or it's a losing effort. Um, the groups fight, fight you, it's expensive. Um, you end up spending a lot of time and effort on spinning stuff up and down. Um, if it's just automatic, if you're not using it, it goes into suspend. That's the solution. Because um, everything else is just a waste of freaking time. Um, we spent so much time, or I should say, over my career over the last 20 years, I've spent so much time at different companies work, uh, working on uh, turning stuff off and on. It's a freaking waste of time because um, it's the amount of effort put into that versus the benefit is so small. Um, it, whereas, you know, most processing systems now, when they shut down, uh, going to suspend when they're not used for a certain period of time, it's pretty efficient. But, um, and, and the amount of energy, uh, it actually, one of the things that we came up with, um, we, and when I was at Yahoo, we didn't actually end up doing this because it was the, the gear was still very expensive, but um, running a DC data center was the biggest benefit is getting rid of the, um, the uh, DC transform, uh, taking it out of the gear and moving it off to being uh, essentially a big giant uh, ACDC PDU at the data center was hugely beneficial. All the, the, um, the, pow the power switching at the, down to the machine was incredibly inefficient. Um, and that's where we, uh, yeah found that we could save the most amount of power and then let everything else just work itself out as long as you had the CICD down. I mean, what, what, I'm, what I'm hearing in all this, though, is that it's fundamentally an autonomic system. That, that what, we're, right, what we're doing is we're saying, all right, one, users don't touch infrastructure directly. They do it. They need to do it through an API where we can actually govern some of that use. And at the end of the day, the system needs to be able to perform the right function, right? Shut systems down, monitor usage. But Don's shaking his head. Well, no. I, so, it, so, so, yeah. so first of all, I absolutely agree with you, right? Yeah. That, that, that that's how 
and I actually have I have these beautiful PowerPoint uh, slides that show these kinds of all of the interactions that that will need to happen. The problem is, is yeah. if you look at that at like at a global enterprise, and I again I spent a lot of time with banks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the number of silos that that is going to have to cross, everything from the application people through the infrastructure people through the people who uh, operate the data centers. Yeah. All of that, there is just, I mean, there's 87 different silos and I'm having a hard time convincing people to deploy smart PDUs so that they can even figure out how much power they're using. Um, there's, but, uh, there's, but my, my, my point on this though, is that this is the power savings are almost an ancillary benefit to having a more agile process in general. Yes. yes. Um, um so actually, I've got a. I have this Post-it note stuck on my monitor, and it's been there for months now. And it's like, is there a business case for a carbon-neutral data center? And I think the answer is yes, because the when we if we can get to the point that we can really do a carbon-neutral data center, it will be radically more efficient, both in terms of mm-hmm. power, people, resources. Um, uh, and essentially deliver to the business at a, um, at a, uh, but you know, and, deliver and, the and also, it also, so, more efficiently. the problem and is also supply chain. It, it's also going to be, yeah, it's the problem is, is it's really hard to, and the difficulty I'm finding. And again, this is sort of why I'm doing what I'm doing is that we need to figure out, how to present that business case at the right level in our organization in order to to have you know at the board level saying this is the transformation we're going to go through gentlemen may i ask a question sure is it not possible to build that business case around the sustainability goals of the enterprise well and and also yeah okay got that part I know it was obvious. And also to tie in either, I don't know, something like shred credit or, you know, the costs versus the benefits that the government will give you, the brand recognition, the, all of those soft, touchy-feely, non-data center type, we geeks mm-hmm. do not go there kind of stuff. <laughs> um I mean, one of the one of the things, and one, some of the things that I've been reading about is there's lots of millennials who are making their buying choices, yeah, um, based upon the the ESG goals of a, of of the stated company that they're dealing with, and lots right. of them just won't do business with somebody who's not going to be who doesn't at least have a plan to get the carbon neutral. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I you know, com- coming from large enterprises for almost 30 years, so clearly not a millennial, um, I would suspect that anybody in a, a C-suite role is going to look at that and go, yes, this supports our values, this supports our brand, this supports any sustainability goal and also costs and benefits that we can either costs that we can write down and benefits that we can accrue to make that case. Because if you can prove even from a a consumer perspective that ESG is an important um, 
differentiator for choosing a company or choosing a brand, they'll immediately see the value. Now, the question is whether the cost versus the value can be equalized in such a way that the business case is strong enough to do it. So what I'm hearing at this point is essentially part of what would be useful to help this happen is something like a lead standard because that's advertisable. It's working with businesses and stuff like that. And if there are consumers that would sit there and go, this place is carbon neutral, you'd be able to get a little bit more gravity just because it can be advertised as such. But you need a standard that you can put in front of these folks to say, look, this means you're, you've got this little badge that you can put by your name. And there, and there, there's, there's a few of those forming. The, the probably the most mature and the most reckon, re- recognized one is something called the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Um, yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of seem, again, it's a it's an NGO, it's a non-governmental group, um, but it seems to be building the mindshare um, uh, among enterprises, at least the enterprises I'm dealing with, including. WWT, the where I work, that's sort of where we're following. Um, that seems to be the consensus agreement. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's a different debate. Um, but that seems to be where the consensus is. Right. Well, the, the place I, I might I would want add, to check. Oh, sorry. Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to oh, add okay. that um, once, if, if you can figure out at the particular organization you're at um, an easy, clear way to decom a data center in like a month or maybe even a quarter, um, then I think you're onto something. Um, then setting lead standards for the company, um, uh, making sure that uh, the new data centers uh, that are either being uh, uh, built by uh, somebody you're leasing the space from or built, being built directly uh, for you, then that makes sense. Um, otherwise, if you have a a stock, if you will, of data center space that has none of the efficiencies you want, and it's going to take you years to decomment, you're never going to get to go um, because you're going to have, you know, 90, 95% of your data center space is going to be the old stuff with all the old gear that everyone's possessively holding on to. And, you know, you're going to get, you're going to come up with a great new standard, but nobody's going to easily be able to switch off of it because your dec- your ability to decom and move uh, essentially workloads around is extremely slow. Um, so I, I think I, I come back to my three things. If you can start implementing the CICD for applications and infrastructure, then um, essentially, I, I think uh, um, Rob mentioned it, the portability, the the decoupling or the abstraction of the workloads to the infrastructure is like the first step is if you can't do that, then that your ability to decom a data center is just like, it's freaking a nightmare. <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm sure everyone's experienced this at one point in their career of uh, being able to move stuff, even from Iraq um, in some data centers, you know, you have to, uh, in some cases I've actually had to have guys clip wires 
because the owner of the machine or the workload just wouldn't make any decisions. And we'd say, your, your shit's moving. <laughs> um, but, uh, but being able, if you can get to the point where you can decom a data center um, in, in a month, then, then all this makes sense. And you can, you can, you know, come up with the, the new data center builds and the most efficient data centers that are following the latest lead standards. And it's possible. Otherwise I don't, I, I think it's um, the energy's focused in the wrong place. Joanne, do you want to close us out? Do you have a oh, closing only, thought or yeah, I, I can, or I, or I can jump, I can jump in after you. Sorry. Like, oh, okay. The only thing I wanted to add was, um, um, I don't know how far you've delved into what's going on in Ireland, but mm -hmm. they have a tremendous ESG movement there, not only for, for you know, like uh, wind turbines and water and, and renewable resources, but also lead the world as does Iceland in uh, green data centers. So I have a contact that I can hook you up with if you want, but do, do some homework first. Send me your email address and I'll I'll make the introduction on LinkedIn because okay. uh, this guy is spearheading that movement and he will know of every standard there is and probably can hook you up around the world. Okay. To I, who's doing what. I also have a contact of a, a physicist, uh, experimental physicist friend who was doing this stuff way back when for Sun and had talked about DOD type companies that were trying to cool things in tanks in the middle of the desert and things along the, those lines. Uh, and he gets down dirty into the math and whatnot. I don't know if he can actually do consulting or not. He's in Facebook at the moment, but mm. he'd certainly you know, have conversations and wing things with you and give you a... Uh, the, the scientist perspective of it all, having thought about it a lot over the decades. Cool. I would welcome that as well. Um, and and he was actually on the team when um, Cray's machine boiled out. So he knows, I mean, <laughs> little things that we don't think about because he gets down into the weeds. Well, I'm... I was telling Rob. I was telling Rob. I spent the week doing real science this week. It really made it was very satisfying. But uh, first of all, it's the top of the hour. I just got to thank yeah. everybody. Um, but I got to say, I love a call where we can go where we can start talking about chips and cooling, and then talk about you know how how narcissistic and, and you know potential psychopaths that we have to work with. So uh, <laughs> it's just, I, I love the breadth of this call. It's just amazing. <laughs> I do too. Well, the, the Ireland stuff is fascinating because I think they already are carbon, supposedly carbon neutral or, but so that, just, that's fascinating. It just, it just still strikes me that the ESG piece, while critical, and I'm, I'm a believer, is not the low hanging fruit. It should be the result. It, and it, companies, companies doing a better job using the servers they already have, repurposing them, being able to not have to buy more servers or, or run workloads um, will have ESG benefits without and but they'll have much bigger ROIs on the silicon well, they've already bought. And and if you go down and look at the the infrastructure, we don't even generally talk about the building and the power and the power distribution of these buildings 
that's got the longest lead time of all of it. And so you can't really change that particular infrastructure. You just need to use it more efficiently. So, yes. Find it in place. So I've got a, so just uh, one last thing, Rob, I know. Sure, yeah. I have a new post-it note that's going up. ESG is the result, not the goal. There you go. Thank you. I think that's, I think that's key to think of, to, to put the, put the concept around. That would, that would let us help customers who, without having to make them buy new stuff, which it's fun. And give more business to Rob. So <laughs> excellent. Call successful. Especially financial houses. <laughs> uh, I'm fine with that. We, we, we would love to help people do a better job helping themselves. As Sean says, CICD. Yeah. Way to do it. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for the conversation. ESG for systems and infrastructure is a really hard problem. And we had a robust conversation about all the ways that we can improve it. Building new data centers, moving into green power centers, working in environments where we can be carbon neutral. And I think those are absolutely incredible. But I want to reinforce a lot of it comes back to being willing to change and doing the things that make it possible to use the new infrastructure or use the infrastructure we already have more efficiently. I hope this has you thinking about ways that you can influence your own organization and critically joining the conversation. Uh, This is not going to happen by itself. We have to take an active stance. And so be part of the conversation. Join us at the 2030.cloud, share these conversations and bring more people in. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.